Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, our Abba Father, we come before you in this hour of worship, seeking your presence. Lord, in the midst of that which we continue to face, in the midst of many who on the front lines, Lord, face directly this virus we're tackling. Lord, we come at this moment of worship uh, to still our hearts, to still our minds, Lord, to focus on you. Help us to focus on you. Forgive us when we take our focus off of you. Help us, Lord, to surrender to you that which troubles us well beyond this virus we might be facing, but in our relationships, in our homes, in the end of school, in the the want-to-be celebrations as graduations take place, and our hearts yearning for the memories of our mothers. Lord, we come before you in this hour of worship as we seek to understand your word for us today that we recognize you are here with us and you're at home with us too and that together in this hour we are connected as community and as family in your name we pray amen did you know that we are part of the house and family of god through Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. Jesus calls God Abba, Father, an intimate name by which a child would address a parent, spoken in the language that Jesus speaks. God was not distant but a parent, like a mother or a father who loves tenderly, protects faithfully, and wants to know us intimately. It's in today's scripture that Jesus comforts the disciples, the disciples who are facing uncertainty and distress at the thought that Jesus might no longer be with them. It's in that context that I invite you to look at today's scripture, to listen to today's scripture, perhaps even read today's scripture with me. So get your Bibles or get your your electronic tablet in which you look at the scripture. Let us turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14 together. Please read with me as we hear God's word. John, chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, Christ says. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also." And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said to Philip, Have I been with you all this time, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? 
Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do works greater than these. Because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. What is one word that describes the relationship between God and Jesus? What is one word that describes the relationship that God might have with Jesus? Can, can you think of that word? I want you to speak it out loud or, or go ahead and post it on Facebook or other places. One word that describes the relationship that Jesus and God might have. It's in today, it, it, excuse me, it is in today's scripture that we are given insight into this relationship. And it's this very relationship that Christ offers us. You remember that word still? Does that word that you lifted up this, that describes God's relationship to Jesus, does that word even begin to describe your relationship with Jesus? A relationship we can let go of, our need to control. A relationship where we can surrender our anxiety. A relationship in which we can find comfort in the very presence of God. Jesus begins today's scripture in John 14 with these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let those words soak in for just a minute with you this morning. Close your eyes. Hear these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me, Christ says. How do these words speak to you today? In what you are facing. Now if you haven't opened your eyes. Go ahead and open your eyes again. But in these words. Jesus reminded his disciples. And he reminds us today. To trust in God when our hearts are troubled. Now think about that. If Christ says. Trust in God when our hearts are troubled. Then it must be okay to be troubled. We're given permission to be troubled, but what is it that we do with our troubles? Even while our minds may be working overtime and our spirits are weary, our hearts can rest assured in God's steadfast love. It's this steadfast love we can offer each other. And when we do, perhaps we become a reflection of the very presence of God for someone else. So that through Christ, others may know this comfort too and experience God as Abba, Father. 
Christ does not just assure the disciples of his comfort, but he gives evidence of why they know this to be true. Turn back to your scripture. Turn back to your Bibles there, chapter 14, verse 1, but let's look at verse 2. Verses 2 and 3, In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am you may be also. The reason we can live in peace, the reason we can live in peace even when our hearts are troubled is that heaven is for real. And Christ has gone to prepare a place for us. Have you ever wondered what heaven looks like? Have you ever thought about or dreamed or daydreamed? What must it be like to be in heaven? What's one word that you would use to describe heaven? One word to describe heaven. Speak that word out loud or go ahead and post that word too so that others may see it. One word that describes heaven for you. Susan and I have enjoyed walking in these times we've had. As we go, we see a lot of other people walking and have talked to several of you and you have been doing the same and and your neighborhood has been full of walkers. It reminded me of this story about a little girl who was taking an evening walk with her dad. It was already dark and as they were going out, she looked into the sky in wonder and amazement and saw all the stars and she exclaimed to her dad, Daddy, if the wrong side of heaven is so beautiful, what must the right side be like? We think of heaven often as this far-off place or idea, but it does not have to be. In today's scripture, Christ is once again preparing his disciples for what is about to come. They have no idea. They are living in uncertainty and distress, and their world is falling apart. It's in this time of more questions than answers That Jesus responds with patience and gentleness. He is offering them a relationship. The same relationship that Christ has with his Abba, Father. Jesus has complete faith in his Father. And he asks his friends to have that same faith in him. He assures them he will be with them by preparing a place for them. In my house are many dwelling places, Christ says. Many abiding places promises us that there's plenty of room in heaven. There will never be a no vacancy sign hanging outside. Christ died for all who choose to believe him. Heaven is as wide as the heart of God, William Barclay declares. For Christians, the door to heaven will always be open. We just have to know where to find the entrance in a world of many competing doors. Revelation 3.20, a scripture I left off last week or that I left, I ended the sermon with last week. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock, Christ says. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. The first question of the 
Westminster Shorter Catechism reminds us that the chief end of humankind is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. Jesus came to make that relationship possible and to prepare a place for us. He is the door. He is the gatekeeper. He is the shepherd, as we learned last week. The result of Christ preparing a place for us, he'll come again. You catch that? He will come again and take us with him. Here's where heaven is. Heaven is where Jesus is. We can speculate on what it will be like, but knowing him and knowing we will be with him is enough to calm and assure our troubling hearts. I learned Thursday that my orthodontist back home in Columbus had passed away. I was one of his first patients, but he was not just my orthodontist. I worked in his office a good bit. I mowed his yard at home. And yes, I even went out with his daughter a few times in junior high school. I texted her when I heard the news. What I remember about him was his humor and that he didn't take life so seriously. He found joy in living. It was infectious, and for years, when I would go back home, I liked to stop by his office and just say hello. Do you know someone that just being in their presence transforms who you are? That is the way it can be with Jesus. Just knowing him and trusting him. And being in his presence will transform our life. And we know this place to where he was going. Don't we? Don't, don't we know this place to where he was going? I mean, that's what Christ says. But his disciples are not sure. Are we? Look at verses 4 and 5 in our scripture this morning. Doubting Thomas says to Christ, we do not know where you are going. We don't know the way, he says. And what did Jesus say? Say these words with me. I am the way, the truth, and what is it? The life. I am the way and the truth and the life, Christ says. Christ shares words of comfort, assures his followers that he's preparing a place for him, and then he begins to show them how to get there. Christ says, I am the way. He takes us there. He says, follow me. He is our guide for life. When we follow Christ, we don't have to know the way because he is the way. Think about that. When we follow Christ, we don't have to know the way because he is the way. In this time of uncertainty we are facing, where things keep changing, I have to remind myself over and over, am I keeping my eyes on the virus or am I keeping my eyes on Jesus? Where have your eyes been mostly focused lately? Jesus also said, I am the truth. When Jesus refers to himself as the truth, he's referring to more than just speaking honestly. One has to be an example of truth. 
Nobody likes a person who talks one way and operates another. But none of us, none of us can completely embody the truth. Only Christ has done that. There's so much information in today's news. It's hard to know what is true. I can tell you this morning one thing that is true, and that's Jesus. If we focus on that, then our hearts will be less troubled. I am the way and the truth and the life, Christ says. When we know the way and we seek the truth, we get back to living. In our recent community groups that we've been going through this spring, we've been covering a book by Bob Goff called Love Does. Some have found his examples and his life just too hard to believe. But this is what I've discovered about Bob Goff. Bob Goff is in charge of his situations and his attitudes. He's in charge of his response to his situations and the attitudes that come from them. And he looks for the truth in them. And he trusts Jesus along the way, no matter how unbelievable the situation might seem. This is why he can live and respond the way he does. In other words, life with Jesus makes life worth living. Life with Jesus makes life worth living. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for believers? What does that mean for people who seek to live? Is we can live again. We can live again with Christ. But there is work to be done. Go with me to verse 12 in our scripture today. If we believe in Jesus, we must do the work that he does. And what's that work? But a work of love. Jesus even says, greater works than these you can do. Not that the works are greater, in a sense better, but their extent is far-reaching and has a ripple effect on others. I think our vision, I think our concept, our desire for heaven is all wrong. We want to know what it will be like. I share a story that's perhaps familiar to you. An American tourist went to visit a 19th century Polish rabbi named Hoffitz Chem. Astonished to see the rabbi's home was only a simple room filled with books, a table, and a bench, this American tourist asked, Rabbi, where is your furniture? And without hesitating, the rabbi asked the tourist, where is yours? And the tourist responded to him, kind of puzzled, but I'm a visitor here. I'm only passing through. So am I, the rabbi said. So am I. The purpose of heaven is not about what it will look like, but who we will meet, whose presence will be there, and who we will follow to get there. Heaven is about a relationship, the same relationship that Christ has with his Father. And if that is the way, the truth, and the life we seek, 
then even in the uncertainty around us, even in the troubles that we might face, even when our hearts are unsettled, rest assured that God is with you because Christ has prepared a place in heaven for you. And heaven, and heaven, and heaven is wherever Jesus is. Who do you know? Who do you know that might need to see a glimpse of heaven? Will they see it? Will they hear it? From you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Christ says. Believe in God. Believe in me. That is a truth worth repeating. The name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.